0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey readers, I'm Anne Bogle and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 207. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, the holidays are fast approaching, and around here, we're of the opinion that books make the perfect gift, whether you're shopping for friends, family, coworkers, teachers, whoever but choosing which book can be tough. So it's become a tradition here on What Should I Read Next to have a special guest on the show to help us match your loved one with the perfect readerly gift. So readers, that means we want to hear from you. We wanna hear what gifts you're in need of, who you're shopping for, how can we help you out and put the right gifts in your hands this season? And then just like we've done in years past, we will air this special episode where my guest and readers, we've got some great guests this year, and myself will make what we hope are the perfect gift recommendations for this holiday season. Readers, there are two ways to get in on the action here. You can leave me a voicemail at 502-209-7607, sharing who you want a gift recommendation for, a couple books they love, a book or genre you know they don't like, and any other little details you think are useful. Make sure to keep your message under one minute. I know you can do it. You can also email our producer, Brenna, at Brenna at modernmrs.darcy.com, B-R-E-N-N-A, with that same information. Who your giftee is, their favorites, any dislikes, you know, any other relevant details. Readers, we will squeeze as many submissions as we can into the upcoming holiday episode and hook you up with the perfect bookish gifts. This week, I'm talking with Jennifer Pye, a reader with a particular soft spot for anything that maybe could be called spooky. Whether it's thrilling suspense, witchy fantasy, or outright horror, she is here for it. Today, we're chatting all about atmospheric reads, sleeper hits, gleefully enjoying books other people hate, and of course, I'm matching her with perfect October reads to pair with a comfy blanket and mug of hot cider. And readers, these books will stand you in good stead as long as blanket reading season is upon us. Let's get to it. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk books with you today. Yes. All right. Now, Jennifer, I know this is a go straight to the heart of the matter question for any reader, but can you tell me about your reading life?
0: I'm not a discriminating reader at all. So my reading life is kind of like being at a all-you-can-read buffet. I'll take anything. I'll try anything
1: once. Okay. I like that. Have you always been that way with your reading life? I would say yes like I'm I'm always interested especially if someone said
0: if someone tells me that a book is really bad I usually run and read it because I'm like is it
1: really that bad (laughs) Um, no one has told me this before So would you describe yourself as a contrarian or is this something that only applies to your reading life? I don't think of
0: myself as a contrarian, but I also don't trust a lot of people's judgments, especially when it comes to books. That being said, I love your podcast about recommendations. (laughs) I want to see for myself. I I would get, if that makes me
1: contrary, then maybe yes. (laughs) I want to prove to myself that it is that bad. So how does that end up working out for you? 'Cause I like the spirit of the thing, but maybe in practice you're like, it's actually I read a lot of bad books. I mean I can I can see that going all kinds of ways. Yes, two
0: things. One, I'm not afraid to jump ship like after the first chapter. Like if it's not working for me, I jump out. Even if lots of people love it, I may come back
1: to it. What do you mean by working for me?
0: A book that calls to me today might not work for me next week when I'm in a different mood or I'm stressed or less stressed or what the weather is that day so sometimes sometimes I will find the character to just be annoying like why do you continue to make these bad decisions over and over well hello otherwise we wouldn't have a book but sometimes I can't (laughs) willingly
1: suspend my disbelief that much so you don't want to get bored
0: I want to be interested and you know there's no 100% great formula. It really depends on me. So that's why I don't necessarily run from books that have like this bad not moniker attached to it because what if it's good for me like that day? Sometimes
1: I want just something really silly. So you never know. Can you tell me about a time when somebody said, oh, this is so terrible. And you said, we'll see about that.
0: Maybe if we go all the way back to like high school when you're sort of forced to read things. All your peers are like, this is garbage. Like, why are we reading this? The Scarlet Letter. I loved it as a 10th grader. I still love it. Like, I don't know what it was about when we were being forced to read it that it just called to me. I I still think it's a wonderful book. And all my friends still are like, there's something wrong with you. It's very dry. I'm just like, it's not dry. Can you not see how groundbreaking this was? Nope. I don't get it.
1: Okay, so one of my pet theories is that a lot more people would like a lot more classics if they weren't forced to read them when they were very young.
0: I think so, too. And I also think sometimes at that age, we just don't have the life experience
1: to identify with characters who aren't exactly like us. I would definitely believe that. It's very interesting. What about like a more recent read, Jennifer? Fifty Shades of Grey. Like,
0: I didn't think it was that terrible. It's not the kind of book that I'd normally go for, but... I didn't think it was the worst thing I've ever read.
1: (laughs) What is the worst thing you've ever read? Hmm, That's kind of hard
0: to say, but it probably is some fanfic that I did read on the internet. (laughs) I know in general, I don't really go for sappy romance. Like those have me rolling
1: my eyes so much. Oh, I imagine we'll hear about that later. (laughs) Does it work the other way? Like if if a lot of people are saying, oh my gosh, This book is amazing. Do you feel like, oh, is that a challenge? Mm,
0: I don't think not necessarily, because I I feel like there have been some recent books that I have uh, read that everybody was just, you know, really really going on and on about. And
1: I I thought they were wonderful. So maybe it's not a contrarian. Maybe you just don't want to see any books be abused and unloved.
0: Well, I also think, like, whoever the author is, like, they really put themselves out there. Sometimes I read things and I think the mind of this person, like, <laughs> that came up with this idea, they really put themselves out there. And so I do kind of feel like, oh, let me give them a chance. That being said, some people... <laughs> I miss the mark um, and I'm comfortable saying that as well but I try I do try to give every book a chance
1: so if you're willing to read anything off the buffet how do you decide what to read next
0: it really depends on my mood everyday life I have two kids work the news every day it's like too much so I want something escapist like truly escapist something fantastical totally not able to happen in real life Then there are other times where maybe I'm more introspective and I want to read something that would maybe help me grow a little bit, like nonfiction. My to-be-read list, like after listening to, I think I'm up to like 182 on the podcast. So I write down all the ones that sound good to me and then my to-be-read list is super high.
1: (laughs) Oh, I'm not sure whether to say um, you're welcome or to apologize. Definitely. Thank you. Because
0: I don't know that like, you know, unless you're, Going to like a book club or something every week. I don't know that friends like think, oh, let me recommend this book that I just read. Like, we may not always get around to talking to that, uh, talking about that. So, I appreciate mm-hmm. the recommendations. I do sometimes let myself get overwhelmed just because I have so much piled up from the library on my bedside table. Like, oh, you have to read five books in the next two weeks. But I'm trying to be more patient with myself and say, it's okay.
1: Like, you can return it. You can always check it out another time. Mm-hmm. Very true. And we are happy to be your book friends in your earbuds. (laughs) So you choose your reads based on how you're feeling day to day, but also... You tend to read in sync with the seasons, don't you? I do,
0: yeah. So, you know, there's a reason why there's
1: a, the term beach
0: reads, right? Because it's hot outside. Maybe most people take vacation during the summer months. You know, you want a lighter read. But as soon as it turns a couple degrees cooler, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I've seen one brown leaf. I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for darker things. The seasons definitely, definitely help me choose.
1: Right now, it's fall and leaves are starting to change, or at least they are where I am. So at this time of year, what are you looking for in your reading life?
0: I am in Georgia. So much like yourself, um, the leaves are finally starting to change. Although, you know, we've still been in the 90s, but I've been waiting for that day that we break the 80s. Yeah, I'm ready to curl up with like a furry blanket. I want to be cozy,
1: you know, and, and not like... On, on a beach somewhere. What does cozy reading mean to you?
0: I think I always look for authors who are super descriptive about the surroundings, the settings of novels. One book that comes to mind is like All the Pretty Horses by Cormac McCarthy, which. You might not think of that as like a fall novel, but what I took from that book is like extreme detail, and I've read it multiple times just for the descriptions that are in it. If I feel like I know what a setting smells like or exactly what the characters look like, then I'm hooked. Interesting.
1: Some readers say that they find over-description, because they would call it over-description, really tedious. But that's not you at all.
0: No, I love, love detail. For me, it's not tedious if it's done well. If there's too many comparisons, maybe to like current day things, I'm not really into that, but there is an art to adequately describing what a character looks like like especially if you're looking for a book that is maybe a little bit more suspenseful like the description is where your suspense comes in
1: so this time of year you're looking for reads that are very atmospheric
0: Definitely. I'm definitely looking for something that might make me put the book down for a minute and walk away and just like stare reproachfully at the book for a minute (laughs) 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 with all
1: the lights on in the room. (laughs) Oh, with all the lights on. So in the fall, it sounds like you're looking for spookier reads as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, a little bit of cool weather makes me think of a warm blanket, which makes me think of reading something a little
1: bit scarier on a rainy day. Well, are you ready to get into your books? 100% ready. Well, Jennifer, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now, and we will talk about what you may enjoy reading next. So how did you choose your favorites?
0: So I looked at my shelf and I said, oh, wow, maybe there's a theme here. Like, these are all a little spooky or maybe have something to do with
1: magic. And that's how I came up with my favorites. Okay. Well, what did you choose for your first favorite? Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. Oh, that sounds perfect based on what you just said. Right. And
0: let me break the rules here and throw out the prequel to that, which is Rules of Magic, is also amazing. I, I can't say it's my favorite because I, I haven't had it long enough. Yeah, Practical Magic. I love everything about it. I love that it's about sisters. It's about strong women. It's about a smaller community that... You know, is sort of looks down on these women, but when in fact these women really like serve their community, it's not scary at all, but there's just enough magic to like sort of take me away, like get me out of reality for a while.
1: Jennifer, what you said... Reminded me of another podcast guest we had on, and that was Mallory O'Mara, and we'll put a link to her episode in show notes. She said she's okay with reading about monsters, but reading about dysfunctional relationships, like, whoa, way too close to home. No, thank you. Don't want to deal with my own problems. Like, let's read about something far-fetched and completely made up.
0: You know, I've heard you say many times on the podcast different types of people and like people who are more highly sensitive and I don't consider myself a highly sensitive person but I think back to when I was younger I definitely was more willing to sort of jump into like more horror books than I am now if I had to pinpoint a time when that changed for me I think it was when I had kids so now I don't wanna read about, you know, missing children or, you know, things like that or like maybe a wife whose husband dies. I don't want to read about that right now. I wanna read about a woman who has magical powers to clean her house with the snap of a finger. <laughs>
1: Sounds pretty great to me. I think something that also uh, helps a lot of readers connect to scary stories or even horror novels when they used to avoid anything terrifying is understanding how scary novels work like as a genre. Yeah, you're reading about scary stuff, but it's also like a metaphor for the human experience. Like you face monsters. How are you going to beat them? Are you going to help with them? Or are you going to end up facing a fate that perhaps is even Worse than death. One of the things I've heard that's especially interesting is that we need to feel afraid because that's what reminds us we're alive, and that these horror stories serve as a metaphor for the underlying dark current that exists in this life, in all our lives. And it lets us feel like we are fighting back, whether we identify with the protagonist or we are just reading from a distance. And I think understanding how the story works helps readers get a sense of distance to appreciate it instead of feeling like they need to put it in the freezer.
0: I agree with that so much. I think like The Walking Dead, I know that show is not for everyone.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm never watching that show. Sure. I'm, I know it's not for
0: everyone. And it, it definitely has a high like gore factor, grisly factor. But at its heart, 100%, it is about life and about survival. Society has to start over and we go through the same problems that our natural society has gone through. So, I definitely think that there is something to learn from horror. I'm a fan of horror. I definitely think. That's probably one of the ones where I'm like, if I feel the horror or the violence is just gratuitous and doesn't lend anything to the story, like, that's not for me. I'm out of that one. But if there's a strong character that I can learn from their mistakes and if I can come out on the other side saying, you know, sometimes you you are faced with super hard things that aren't horror per se – But you still have to sort of like keep your head up and keep moving. That's what you can take away from a really good book.
1: One of the most frightening books I have read in a long time was a memoir, actually. And it was Maggie O'Farrell's I Am, I Am, I Am. And I know you read that one, too.
0: Yes, that book, it caught me off guard because I really thought, I, I love a good memoir, and I didn't know too much about it. The first couple of situations, so, so sort of a spoiler alert, she goes through like all these different ways that she could have died in her life, but she didn't. <laughs> she narrowly avoided these accidents. And the first couple of ones, I was just like, wow, you know, that those types of things probably happen to us every day, and we don't even realize it. She got to a part later on in her life where she had a daughter who was like highly highly allergic to so many things but she just didn't know and the child could have like went into anaphylaxis and died so many times but didn't thank goodness I had to put it down for a minute and sort of walk away and be like
1: are my children allergic I need to check yeah I see what you mean It can feel a lot safer to read about, I don't know, killer clowns than it can to read about the scary things that could actually happen in our actual lives.
0: Yes. And I think maybe that's the line between horror novels and then books that are frightening slash spooky slash scary without being gory because there's a sense of alone. And I think like if you kind of break Every frightful thing down, at the root of it, there's like a sense of being alone. No one really wants to be alone. And so some of my favorite scary books are the ones where, like, you're reading this book. If you can get into the mind of the of the main character, like, I feel so isolated. All these things are happening to me. No one else can help
1: me. Like, that's true fright. So all that conversation was spurred by Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. Jennifer, what did you choose for your second book? The Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern. This book is the atmosphere, like, so
0: perfect. Everything is black and red from the, like, from the cover you take that in, but just the words and the descriptions of what goes on in the novel, I don't know. It just made me feel like I was really a part of the story or that I wanted to be part of the story.
1: How did you pick this one up? I'm pretty sure
0: I picked this one up just based on the cover alone. So covers are so important. Um, And so if I'm strolling through my local Barnes & Noble or make a special trip to my local bookstore and I see a cover, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And anything circus is always creepy to me. So I'm like, oh, (laughs) let me check this out. I'm always looking for those books that are like sleepers, you know, that, and obviously this one is very popular novel, but maybe there's a book out there that someone has read that's like, no one knows about this, or the cover is totally not what it is and you just fall into something. That's how I fell into the night circus and just like loved it.
1: What spoke to you about this one?
0: I mean, at the heart, there is a, a bit of a, a love story that is such a fine line for me, especially in young adult fiction, like please don't get cheesy, I cannot, like, that's one thing that will just turn me off immediately. I think it's logical, it's like, you know, there's a, a definite love for the main characters there, um, and then you added magic, and a circus,
1: and ice rooms. like, who, who could ask for more? Do you know she has a new one coming out, like, right now, after many, many years? Pretty sure I have pre-ordered that, and I,
0: I just loved uh, the night circus so much, I thought, let me, let me give her a chance.
1: Well, I hope that works out for you. And that is The Starless Sea, and it's coming out November 5th of this year. Good, so I don't have to wait. (laughs) No, not long at all. What did you choose for your third book, Jennifer?
0: So the third book is venturing into that more creepy side of my personality, which is We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Mm -hmm. It was very hard to pick any one by her because I love her so much, She is part of my very early reading life. Like, the books that stick in my mind from when I was a child, I mean, to me, that's a sign of, like, a great writer.
1: So tell me a little bit about this one.
0: So this one starts off with a couple of sisters um, who live in a big mansion, and they live largely alone. They do have an uncle who is unwell, and the story sort of unfolds that... Um, Some suspicious deaths of their parents and their aunt took place. The town that's outside of their big, huge mansion sort of looks upon these girls with disdain and treats them really horribly. And so they've sort of sequestered themselves into this house. It's sort of told from a point of view of one of the daughters. And she has so much love for her sister. And just the two of them are so close and as time goes by, uh, more relatives start to show up, and they sort of encounter more interaction with the outside world. At this point, I don't, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, so I don't know if everyone's read it or not, or if you've seen the, the Netflix film, which is actually really good. Wait, there's a Netflix version of this? I did not know this. Yes, and it's hard for me to say that something isn't, like, terribly frightening, but I think it's definitely not a horror movie. It's not like... I can't think of her other book. Wild Stab. Is it The Haunting of Hill House? Yes. The Haunting of Hill House is definitely, both the novel and also the Netflix movie, 100% horror. This is definitely more suspense, more you sort of find out this mystery unravels like as time goes by. So it's definitely... For someone who's looking for something that might be a little suspenseful, but not too scary, I think uh, We Have Always Lived in
1: the Castle would work. Yes, I would co-sign that as someone who told you very adamantly what that I was never watching The Zombies. Oh, The Walking Dead.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The thing I wanted to say about Shirley Jackson is just that she has some wonderful short stories. They're in so many different collections so if you read uh we have always lived in the castle and you like that tone like please seek out her short stories because like one of the earliest stories that i can remember reading is the rocking horse winner which i read maybe in middle school and it creeped me out. And I love it. I think that's why it's like imprinted on my psyche. And also the lottery, which she wrote, which is so great. So I can say enough good things about her.
1: One of the first short stories that I remember reading in school was The Lottery. And yeah, there's a reason that one sticks because, oh man.
0: If you think about it, if you're familiar with the story, there's very traditional sort of story of like harvest time and sacrifice for harvest. Like that's in a lot of horror books. But I say all the time, like sometimes reality social media, like I feel like we might be inching towards the lottery
1: at any day now. Okay. Well that's scary. <laughs> that makes me want to read practical magic real quick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> palette cleanse, palette cleanse. Exactly. Okay, so Jennifer, did you have a hard time choosing a book that wasn't for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, honestly, I'm surprised this one hasn't made an appearance on the podcast before. Tell me about it. The book that I
0: chose as one that is definitely not for me was The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks. By all intents and purposes, I should love this book because I love anything that takes place in the South, especially if it's like a flashback, you know, from previous times and then they're flash forward to current times. But it was too syrupy, too sweet for me. Sometimes you can tell what the author's intentions are. Like, they intend for you to feel a certain way. And I just
1: didn't buy it. I wasn't a fan. What about Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams?
0: I mean, I've seen the movie. I I thought it was okay. But it's not, like, one that I would watch again for me. (laughs) So, like, you're saying, what about the movie? The movie's great. I'm thinking... I really like Tim Burton movies. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> there used to be this TV show like in the early 2000s that was called Pushing Daisies. It was only on for like a couple of seasons, but I loved it. It mixed like macabre stuff with really funny, punchy colors and things like that. So, yeah, those sort of like, let me run slowly to you in the rain. Those movies are not for me. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's an amazing description. I've read a few more Nicholas
0: Sparks books because, again, like, I think he's from North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. I want to, like, support my North Carolina. I know they filmed many of those movies in North Carolina, and I want to support him as many ways as I can. And I've read other ones that I thought were much better. I think what it comes down to is, like, it's so hard to tell these massive love stories when... Love isn't always that dramatic. It doesn't happen overnight and like to be able to like cover these decades and decades and decades, like it's pretty hard to get it right.
1: <laughs> Jennifer, is there anything that you want more of in your reading life or that you want to be different?
0: I think right now I'm in a rush to like read everything because I do hear so many good there's so many good books that are like always coming out. You can never catch up and I don't know if it's just my nature to like want to be caught up. So I think what I'm doing is maybe not giving each book the amount of time that I should be giving it in order for me to like really digest it and hold it with me because there have been times where I see a book I say, oh, this looks so good. Let me just grab this. I read like three chapters. Oh, I've already read this. And I'm like, oh, how (laughs) can I forget that I've read this? So I want to slow down. That might be different from most people, but I want to slow down and take my time and if I want to read three hard novels in a row that's fine. I don't want I don't want to put any pressure on myself to read certain books.
1: So something I feel like I'm always repeating is we believe in quality over quantity. And so you're willing to slow down to enjoy what you're reading. Exactly. Quality over quantity and no judgment. Like
0: if you enjoy, you enjoy what you enjoy. So if that's what you want to read, read it and love it. I want to embrace my love of dark stories, and I don't want to be pressured to read, you know, whatever's the current most popular book. I'll get around to it, just not in a rush.
1: I'm glad you said that because I hadn't realized until you said that you're not looking for the like hot new thing that all the books I was thinking of for you are old to kind of old, and you're okay with that.
0: I'm 100% Okay. okay with that. The thing is, so many good books come out all the time that are sort of in the back catalog that we don't remember. Like Alice Hoffman is, is a great example of this. Like I love practical magic and uh, rules of magic. And I've read a couple more of hers, but she has this extensive catalog that I'm really looking forward
1: to trying out. Yeah, she is prolific. Okay. So Jennifer, you loved practical magic, the night circus, and we have always lived in the castle, the notebook, not for you. The word sappy is no good. Your preferences run way more to the Tim Burton end of the spectrum. Okay, can I just tell you right now that one of the best things I've seen, I think on video ever, is the Coraline adaptation. I love that so much. I love it so much,
0: and I want to watch it so many times but my children are possibly more sensitive than I and I have my daughter is six and I, I really want to introduce this to her and I've tried to sort of test the waters but just like some still photos she's like that's too creepy I don't like it so I'm waiting for the day that we can watch that as a family
1: parenting goals I like it okay well let's find you some books that you can enjoy quietly alone <laughs> by yourself. You can escape into your own little world, but you could do it on the living room sofa if you wanted to. That sounds wonderful. So we are looking for spooky, definitely atmospheric reads that you could enjoy any time of year. I mean, there's nothing that would stop you from enjoying these books on a beach someplace. It's going to sound really nice here when it gets cold out shortly, but they do lend themselves to drinking in a comfy chair with a blanket and a cup of tea and maybe a lit candle. Oh, that sounds wonderful. (laughs) Well, you were talking about We Have Always Lived in the Castle. So let's just take a short walk from there to visit another classic author who also wrote short stories exceptionally well, and that is Daphne de Maurier. Now, many people have read Rebecca or even Jamaica Inn. Do you know these stories? I have not read them, but I have heard Rebecca mentioned so many times on the podcast that
0: I definitely do have it on my want-to-read list.
1: Oh, yes. If it's writing with your favorites, it's an excellent read for this time of year based on what you described. Spooky, but not scary, like huge check mark. And then come back and let's talk about Mrs. Danvers together. Okay, we we can do that. Well, I would really recommend for you, Rebecca, and Jamaica in both. She has other books, but those are her two best known. But you talked about slowing down and about atmospheric. And I would really recommend picking up her short story collection that's called The Birds and Other Stories. The Birds is the best known. This is the short story that the Hitchcock film was based on, although he did some majorly different things. Most noteworthy was changing the setting and the atmosphere of the story. But Dumarié has that in spate. She's so good with compact, but really effective and specific descriptions. The way she ratchets up the tension on her characters subtly, but undeniably, I think would really appeal to you this time of year. And they're not like outright frightening, but you are going, oh, good gracious. <laughs> <laughs> Am I alone in the house right now and do I want to be? That sounds so good. You know that just your
0: description of it uh, reminds me of another short story that I love, The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. So, just like you described, like it starts
1: out not not that bad, right? Like it's not that bad, but it slowly like ratchets up. Yes. And the, like the other best-known story from that collection, it's a little novella actually. It's called The Apple Tree. And it's the story of a recent widower. We never find out his name, which somehow kind of contributes to the suspense. But he wasn't that sad when his wife died because she'd been annoying him for a really long time. So (laughs) she gets pneumonia. She is no more for this earth, or so he thinks. And he's like, phew, that's over. But then one day he looks out the window and he notices that an apple tree in the yard looks uncannily like his late wife. So that sounds like totally far-fetched, right? But you are here for that, and that's fine. And the thing about this is we're seeing the story unfold through the widower's eyes. And we don't really like him. And I mean, really, like he thinks the... Apple tree looks like his wife. So you're not sure if you can believe him. So you get that authentic, unreliable narrator. But also, the thing that Demarier does so well, as I think Jackson often does too, is they create this atmosphere that just feels really, ooh, really spine tingling. It flirts with the supernatural, but you're never quite. They or you're not sure. Like, are you there? You're not exactly there, but it's right there. and she just like she never pushes into outright unreality. and that is creepier than if she had
0: yes, i I'm one hundred percent here for that. I think also, if I die of suspicious causes, I do want to come back as an apple tree. Um, <laughs> just, just to annoy my husband.
1: Yeah, that sounds so good. So that is the birds and other stories by Daphne Maurier. In the creepy one about the husband who did not feel bad when he should have, that's the apple tree in that collection. Now, you mentioned on your submission form that you had a thing for witches. That's a sentence I've never spoken. <laughs> Tell me about that. Because I think, I think I have a book that would be really fun for you that is like witches all day for 600 pages.
0: If it has witch in the title or on the cover... I will give it a chance, no matter how bad. And I've read read some pretty bad ones. And I try to understand, like, why am I just drawn to, like, witches overall? And I think what it is is, like, by and large, witches are generally female, generally pretty outspoken, which I identify with and misunderstood many witch tales are like witches have have a heart of gold but they're misunderstood and all the kids are scared of them but then they find out at the end that this person's really nice so I think maybe that's where my love of witches comes from and then also there's that whole magic thing like I
1: wish I had magical powers sometimes (laughs) okay then I think I have the right book for you it's long is that okay that's great Okay. Well, actually, maybe you've read it and hated it. The, the book that I'm thinking of is The Witches of New York by Amy McKay.
0: I have not read that, but I have had it on my list for so long. And the reason why I haven't read it yet is because of how long it was. Because as I spoke about before, it's that I'm rushing myself to get through this list. And I'm thinking, oh, that's very long. It's going to take me a longer time. I can, but I can knock off three or four other smaller books. But I'm teaching myself to
1: slow down. And the nice thing here is that I'm not adding books to your list. I'm like highlighting books on your list. That's right. Jennifer, the cover on this one is absolutely fantastic. The book is set in 1880s Manhattan. And the idea is, though the Salem witch trials are long behind everyone, In the late 19th century, witches are still around, although they've learned that they have to keep quiet because, you know, we know how people feel about it when witches get out in the open, but they continue just doing their work, filling the needs people have with their various remedies and skills of the herbal and completely other varieties And quietly subverting society when necessary. The specific world this is set in is like very realistic 1880s New York. McKay wants the setting to feel believable. So she's very descriptive about the city streets, the city smells, uh, what the buildings look like, those elements that we know you like in your fiction. And yet at the same time, she's laying something completely Imagined and deliberately unrealistic on top of it. And I think the contrast is really fun. So you have this um, specific setting, you have the major premise about these witches from Salem still being around, just quietly so. But then the story itself is about these three women who have a scheme. When one young woman finds them, they try to uh, help this woman become the first witch who is made, not born. But things go badly. Somebody disappears. They got to figure it all out. And something that I really love for this, for you and for the things we talked about, about like the themes that novels address through the eyes of these 19th century witches, she's talking about contemporary women's and human issues. Like the witches work with the women's suffrage movement. In the book, they're like trying to find their own kind of freedom, even though they are witches who would be shunned if they were known to be so. And yet they take an active part in advancing causes that so many women and so many people benefit from. So the way they play with that, like, what are we really afraid of? What does that mean? And you talked about strong women and female friendship, female relationships. I think the way that all those are addressed in the novel, and she's got plenty of space to address them at almost 600 pages, I think that you could find this really fun to curl up with this autumn. Also, if you like this and you want to continue your seasonal reading streak into the winter months, Amy McKay has a short book out called Half Spent Was the Night, A Witch's Yuletide.
0: Witches and Christmas? mm-hmm this might be the best thing ever
1: for the right reader and I think that might be you I, I'll gladly take a stab at it oh it's hard to know what direction to go in for our final pick because there there are so many good choices I'm really thinking the little stranger by Sarah Waters do you know her have you read anything by her I, no I don't think so She's a British author. She writes stuff that is definitely creepy, very atmospheric, and often described as gothic, just like Daphne du Maurier. Or also, I was really thinking about The Thirteenth Tale by Diane Setterfield or The Distant Hours by Kate Morton. Have you read any of those? The Thirteenth Tale I have read. Okay. Was that a good pick for you? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Well, with that in mind, um, Sarah Waters is writing right in that vein. It's historical fiction. The book is set in the 40s, and it's set in Britain. And something that I actually had brought to my attention recently because of a very different novel, The Gown by Jennifer Robson, was that the late 40s were a really difficult time in Britain. Like, the war was won, but they were broke, starving and demoralized everything has been bombed out people are exhausted homes and cities they have actually been gutted by war and people are Wounded and struggling in every way possible, and rations are still in place. And into this setting, you have a country general practitioner in Warwickshire. He was born to poor parents. He's really had to struggle to make his way as a doctor. And when I say make his way, I mean he had to fight hard for his education, but also his parents sacrificed almost everything to pay for it. So he's moving into middle age. He's not married. He doesn't have much of a social life. Many of his patients are very poor he's never really been like accepted by the wealthy citizens who could pay him better and provide him a different kind of career one that looks awfully good to him so he's a doctor and they were pretty esteemed in the 40s but a lowly one because of how he's seen and who he serves cuz we all know that in a creepy story your protagonist matters but then he's called to visit a patient at a big hall home to a wealthy family. And he thinks, oh, this is the beginning for me. This is the beginning, all right, but it's not the beginning of anything good. So he goes to visit the hall and he finds out it's not the family, the actual family who wants him. It's a housemaid. She's only 14. She's really sick. She's been seeing things. Um, She's unwell. Nobody believes her when she says what's going on. He begins treating her and he returns to the house frequently to try to help her with her illness. The family just thinks that she doesn't want to work. They don't really believe her. And something that one review of this book pointed out that I had not thought of myself is that in many classic ghost stories, the protagonist is never the first to notice. It's the children and the animals. And in this case, it's this young 14-year-old servant who, true to the time, is treated by all involved as something uh, less than human. They don't care how she feels. They don't care what she thinks. They just want to get her on her feet so she can work again. But as the story goes on, there continue to be these unsettling disturbances and increasingly, icky isn't the right word here, but this poor housemaid has to keep cleaning the blood the broken glass. She has to calm everybody down from these increasingly disturbing occurrences. And nobody cares what she thinks. No one explains what's going on. It is her job to take it and to deal with the aftermath. What the reader does is they're seeing the story through the doctor's eyes. Something kind of fun here is he is a doctor. He is a man of science. So he is disinclined to believe the unbelievable right before his eyes. Very slowly, Sarah Waters like twists the story till if she had taken you straight from like point A to point M, you would have been like, no way, uh uh-uh, uh, that's not happening. But she just does it bit by bit by bit until suddenly you're like, what on earth is happening here? You go from a vague sense of unease to like, oh, you have got to be kidding me. So I mean, this isn't a horror story, but it is so unsettling, I think, in a way that you would really appreciate. How does that sound, Jennifer?
0: I want to be unsettled. Like, yes,
1: I want this. (laughs) Oh, and I have to tell you that this one is strongly reminiscent. I have to think this is on purpose, but I'm not in Sarah Waters' head of Henry James' novella, The Turn of the Screw, which is another one that would be absolutely perfect for your list if you haven't read it yet.
0: I have not.
1: It is a novella. And if you wanted to, you could read it quickly.
0: Yeah, let's show some love to these short stories, which like the plot is just as important as in a novel. Yeah, it sounds great.
1: All right. So Jennifer, the books we talked about were The Birds and Other Stories, a short story collection from Daphne du Maurier, The Witches of New York by Amy McKay, and The Little Stranger by Sarah Waters. Of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? I
0: think I'm going 100% Daphne du Maurier. I got to read those short stories because... I've been hearing about Rebecca, so I feel like she and I could be really good friends. I just need a small introduction, then I'll jump into Rebecca. So yeah, I think I'll start
1: with her. If you wanted, that could be a nice bridge into the Witches of New York, because Amy McKay is on the record as saying her favorite fictional villain ever is from Rebecca.
0: Hmm. I like nothing more than a logical progression, so let's go
1: (laughs) Well, I love the sound of that. I can't wait to hear what you think. Jennifer, thank you so much for talking books with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate all the recommendations. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Jennifer, and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 207, and it's where you'll find the fullest of titles we talked about today. Subscribe now so you don't miss next week's episode in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there, at Ann Bogle, that is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free weekly delivery. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. Find me there at Anne Vogel and at What Should I Read Next. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review or even better, tell a friend about this podcast. Thanks to the people who make this show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Bekaczek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rolka said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.
0: on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps
1: millions of people sleep deeply all night long.